0: You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is Episode 91. Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Raven and the Writing Desk. I'm your host, Chris Lester, the creator of the Metamore City story universe. You can find more of my work at chrislester.org and metamorecity.com. I've got another interview episode for you this week. Back in January, I sat down for a chat with Jared Axelrod, the creator of an awesome podcast serial called The Voice of Free Planet X. Jared just recently concluded the second season of the show, so I wanted to ask about what's coming in Season 3, as well as the distinctive storytelling format that makes the show so unique. Over the course of this interview, you'll probably hear me refer to Jared using male pronouns— As Jared mentions in the interview, however, gender identity is something that Jared's currently in the process of exploring. At the time that I'm recording this intro, Jared is asked that we refer to her using female pronouns until further notice, and I will honor that request going forward. So, without further ado, here's my interview with Jared Axelrod. Hey there, ladies and gents. Welcome back to The Raven and the Writing Desk. I am your host, Chris Lester, the creator of the Metamore City podcast and The Raven and the Writing Desk. You can find my work at metamorecity.com and chrislester.org. And I am here in the studio today with Jared Axelrod. Jared is an author, an illustrator, and a world changer. He's the founding member of the flash fiction website, 365 Tomorrows, for which he wrote an incredible 78 stories. He has written and produced the podcast serials Aliens You Will Meet and Fables of the Flying City. He wrote the graphic novel The Battle of Blood and Ink and the Comrade uh, Cockroach Adventures webcomic. His fiction has been featured in collections such as Have Blaster Will Travel, The Way of the Gun, The Ministry Protocol, and Tales of a Tesla Ranger. He is not domestic. He is a luxury, and in that sense, necessary. Thanks for being on the show, Jared.
1: Oh, thank you for having me. This is very exciting. <laughs>
0: So you're very soon going to be launching the third season of your science fiction podcast series, The Voice of Free Planet X now, well
1: I ad- um very soon is depends on how you look at it.
0: <laughs> Do we have a release date yet
1: we We don't, and here's the reason why is um my wife and I are expecting a child in April, little e- Wednesday Axelrod, yeah, it's very exciting, so I don't know when season three is gonna happen. <laughs> Not very soon. It's not going to happen before she arrives. So I'm I'm not putting a, a release date on that yet. So some point <laughs> there will be a season three. I've already recorded some of it with some very talented voice actors. So we're working toward it, but it's not going to happen before she arrives. And as many people who've had a newborn know, it's going to put a little kink in the works of uh, making a podcast. Certainly one of this type and scale. So I don't really know when season three is going to start. It will happen. I can guarantee you that. I just don't know when.
0: Okay, in production. And in the meantime, people have time to get caught up. So for those who have not heard it yet, can you describe the voice of Free Planet X?
1: Sure, it is a fake interview show. So it's set up like an interview show that you might hear on national public radio, your this American life's your Serials, things of that nature. But instead of interviewing real people, I interview fictional ones. So robots and superheroes and aliens and witches and monsters. The tagline for the show is true stories of fictional people. And I think that kind of wraps it up pretty nicely. It is done in a way that I think is very true and very honest and really looks at how these strange people might live, but they are not real. They're performed by actors and improvers and just really talented folks. I'm very fortunate to have at my beck and call, a amazing stable of voice actors.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask about that, so let's jump ahead and ask that question now. Where do you find your voice talent? Because you've got some amazing people on board.
1: Part of that is just having been involved in the podcasting community for over 10 years now, and now I know these people Another part of it is just being in part of the gaming community and knowing people who are really good improvers because of their role-playing game ability. And other parts of it is being involved in the local theater community and knowing really good actors here who can come over. Also, this is a podcast style that I've been wanting to do for a long time, but it has only been relatively recently that everyone has a microphone and headphones now, thanks to online gaming. Uh, so a lot of people who normally would have been like oh that would have been great but i have no way to record now are able to and everyone has cell phones now and it's easy to get a recording from someone in a way that it was certainly not when i started doing podcasting
0: that is very cool i guess we have things like world of warcraft to thank for that I
1: do, and Call of Duty and all of those, all of those Vegema games that I don't play, but I'm <laughs> glad they're there because it means that people have headset mics <laughs> and they can use them. But yeah, a lot of, it's really just my friends. It's literally, this show is an excuse for me to do projects with my friends. So with the first season, a lot of it was people who I've been wanting to do things with either again, because they're friends that we've worked on stuff before, or for the first time. And that was so much fun. And then the second season was bringing a lot of those people back, bringing in some new people that I've met through, other people involved, and just building up on that, this amazing pool of talent that I know and can bring to. And I've been really fortunate that so many people have said yes, and so many people have enjoyed it a lot of the professional actors love it because they don't have to memorize anything (laughs) they can just come in and they don't even have to dress up and just uh, have that sheet of paper in front of them and just read it off which is great and then the improvers love it because improv person will just love to riff that's just something they do i've been really fortunate i've been really fortunate to, to have the people come on the show who have come on and it's just been wonderful
0: Let's talk about that production style because sure. you are using a very naturalistic storytelling approach that really does bring to mind those those radio shows. You know, the, these don't sound like characters in a story; they sound like real people being interviewed, and you know, they make remarks that are off the cuff or seem off the cuff, seem unscripted, and that seems like it'd be really challenging to write. So, what does your process look like when you're getting ready to? to write and produce these stories?
1: A lot of it is what kind of story I want to tell, because each one of them is different in their own way, because they're all talking about a different person. So who is the anchor character that we're talking to usually starts out. And then once I have that anchor character, I think about who I want to voice it. And what kind of strengths they have, if they would prefer a full script, or if they would are someone who is really talented at improv. And so I will just write a few stuff to kind of get them started, and then we'll go on. A little preview for season three, Graham Walmsley, who is a frequent voice actor, uh, he was on a couple episodes, was in town. And so we were able to record stuff with him here which was really nice because he normally lives in England. Mm. And he's got these characters called the Crime Bunnies. They're basically just little stuffed bunny dolls, but he's got a very specific voice for them. And so I didn't want to overwrite Crime Bunny dialogue because Graham knows Crime Bunny dialogue. That's just the truth. So I wrote a small bit so that we would have an introduction and have a place to start. And then from there, we just uh, riffed. We would do it and we would do a scene and then with that, sometimes it'd be like, okay, let's try something different with that same thing, but let's have the crime bunnies be a little embarrassed. And let's go from that and try that angle. And that was a lot of fun. Some performers work better with a full script. So I have had a full script laid out and they've taken that and done amazing things with it. And one thing that always cracks me up is everyone thinks the episode I did with Chris Morse, Mistaking <laughs> Your Mirrors. Everyone thinks that was improv and it sounds very natural. But it was completely fully scripted. And part of that is me writing specifically for Chris's voice. And so knowing how he talks. But also, Chris is an amazing actor. So, of course, it's going to sound natural coming from him. Very so, cool. Yeah. And it varies on the story to story, what stories I want to tell and how I want to tell them. Some, I feel, need to be very tightly scripted because I'm trying something very specific. And some, I feel, can be much more loosey-goosey because what's actually said is not as important as the feeling and the character elements that come out of what is said.
0: I'm guessing that uh, The Court of the Crimson Queen was one of the latter.
1: Well, that was a a collection of scripted bits and non-scripted bits. All the stuff with my brother, yeah, that was all improv, because that's what he does. He's an improv performer in Los Angeles. So all of that stuff was just him and I going at it. I could Um, hear
0: you guys doing the yes and back and forth.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, and it was just a joy to work with him. I mean, again, this comes back to... I get to work with my brother. My sister has played a a role on it a couple times. I get to work with all these wonderful people who've always wanted to do something with. So it's really great to be able to yes and with my own brother beyond (laughs) just doing it at the dinner table. Nice.
0: Now, you had a a previous volume of The Voice of Free Planet X that ran mostly from 2005 to 2008, where it was a lot of your short fiction, a lot of Mm straight reads, and then didn't have the overarching plot arc that you have in the the podcast now. So when did you decide that you wanted to make this switch? And how did you how did that come to be? Like, where did the inspiration come from to do the NPR with a TARDIS kind of story here?
1: Well, I I brought the Voice free Free Planet X back and it was very much similar to the way it was before. And I didn't like it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I tried many different ways to kind of make it more fun for myself, but it was it was not working for me. And so one idea I had had was to try to do an a fake interview show. And so I was like, I'm gonna write like four episodes. I was spending some time in North Carolina where I knew I had a lot of very talented actor friends and improv friends. And I was like, okay, let me see if they're available. And they were. And so I was like, let me just knock out these four episodes and we'll see if it's something. It may be nothing. And then after doing those episodes, like this is the most fun I've had podcasting (laughs) in in forever. Um, And so in doing more episodes, it became something that kind of grew into a larger continuity. Um, There wasn't, at the beginning, an idea of having the episodes connect beyond me being an interviewer. But the more I wrote scripts, the more there kind of became a sort of universe that I was in, and that some of the interviewers were in and others weren't, and kind of bringing all those together kind of just naturally grew out of doing it over and over again. So I didn't I didn't plan it from the start, but once it was clear that there was something there, then it became something to work with instead of working against. So
0: was the pan-reality deator originally a throwaway joke that you decided to
1: take and run with? Absolutely. That's exactly what it was. That's why the name is so dumb. <laughs> <laughs> if I had known it was going to be something more, something that I would base more things around, I probably would have done something a little easier to say. Um, But the joke was that it was hard to say, the Pan-Reality deator. It was just a weird, difficult-to-say name that no one would actually choose. And so, but then it was like, well, now that I brought this in, what does that mean? And so, yeah, uh, if I'd planned it, I would have planned it better. But... (laughs) I, th- I think there's a certain charm to its clunkiness. I think that's part of the beauty of science fiction is that it embraces the clunky and it embraces the hard to say and embraces the weird that's weird for the sake of being weird. And so in doing that, um, I'm playing to a long tradition of uh, throwaway jokes that turn out to be um, something more.
0: Absolutely. At this point do you feel like you've got a lot of the long-term plot arc figured out or are you still discovering things as you move from one episode to the next
1: well i know how it ends i definitely know how the last episode of the Deator arc is going to end and that that was something that there are seeds planted at the end of the first season there are seeds planted of how it's all going to end but the journey to that has been a lot of fun. And I, I I leave a lot of things open as I'm going to write it. And the last episode of this Deator arc is not necessarily going to be the last episode of the Voice of Free Planet X in this format. Though it might be, who knows? I've got a baby coming. Who knows how things gonna change? <laughs> <laughs> I make no promises for the future. But yeah, I know how it's gonna end, but I haven't written it. So who knows what's gonna happen in between now and when those scenes are actually typed up i'm open to it i'm open to change part of the beauty of this show in addition to working with my friends is that they bring their own stuff both through the acting and through the improv and even if they're still reading a full script there's emphasis that they put on certain words and certain emotions that i may not have planned and that will spark something that later will be very important but at the time was something that I was thinking very differently. But then when they said it, it was like, oh, well, that's of course the only way to do that.
0: Can you give me an example of where that happened?
1: A lot of the character of the day towards Domo comes from Whitney Strick's Beltran's amazing performance. Yes. And when I, when I contacted her to be that character originally, I told her, "It's was like, this is a recurring character. There's going to be multiple episodes, including one that's going to be almost an entirely a monologue just for you, if that's okay for you to take that kind of responsibility. And she was yes. And the character that she performed in, I think the first episode that she shows up is uh, how it's going to end, is very different than what I had planned. And so every subsequent appearance of the day tour has so much to do with how she is saying that character. Because I, I honestly feel like I have taken her in a different direction than I would have if Whitney was not doing her. The episode that's just almost entirely her monologue for her, Parable of the Leopard, that has turned out to be way more sympathetic than I had originally planned because uh, Whitney makes her sympathetic and she makes that character for all her, her haughtiness and for all her superiority. And I know it allness, there is a kernel of sympathy there that comes from a genuine place. And so certainly the ending that I had planned for her is different now because I can't I can't end it that way. She's a real person now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a monster. So I, I think definitely uh, the character of the the Deator's Domo is definitely something that has evolved because of the way Whitney has performed her.
0: We have a question in the Facebook event from Nobilis Reed. He says, you've done a lot of different things creatively over the years that I've followed your work. How do you judge whether a project has been successful, whether a project is something you want to continue or should be set aside for something else?
1: Well, this is something that's very difficult, and it's something that I wrestle with. But at the end of the day, it's got to start and end with me, as in how did I feel doing it, and am I happy with it? now that it's done. And I think a lot of the times I fall into a trap that I think a lot of artists do, which is focusing on the audience expectation and mm-hmm. what is the audience gonna think of this. And I am imagining what the audience is gonna react to and what they are going to say. And that is what is most important. And it can't be that because you have no control over that. Right. At the end, it has to be, did you have fun doing it? And was it worth it when it's over? now that you have completed it. Those are the only two questions that you can possibly judge any project by because of the only two things that you have any sort of true awareness of. Even if the audience applauds, you don't know if that's just them being polite or them really enjoying themselves. But you know if you really enjoyed it. You know if you are really happy with it. You have those feelings and that's the only thing you can judge. And so I consider something to be successful when I had a lot of fun doing it, the whole process. And at the end of it, I can look at it and say like, this is worth all the effort. And that's why there keeps being episodes of The Voice Rebound X, because it's a lot of fun. The jury's still out whether it's worth the effort because some episodes are harder than others. I will not lie to you. Some of them have been beasts. I'm just getting everyone together and then editing everything together. But the process has always been enjoyable. and. I was shocked to find out that I actually enjoy audio editing, if it's not me. Um, (laughs) I thought I hated audio editing. Apparently, I just hate editing myself. I love editing other people because I love making my friends sound great. So that's (laughs) wonderful. So, yeah, I guess that's a very long-winded answer to a very simple question.
0: I would also add in from my own perspective that just because a project has been a success doesn't necessarily mean it's something that you want to continue. Like stories have a beginning, a middle, and an end, and then it doesn't necessarily make sense to to continue it artificially beyond its natural lifespan.
1: Sometimes because something is a success is why you don't continue it. It's Mm -hmm. like, yeah, that's done. I'm pleased with that. I'm happy. I no longer feel the need to do something like that again because here is this thing that has happened and it's great absolutely
0: brief aside because that's making me think about it but i really want to know if we're going to see more of moriarty and pity
1: (laughs) well i i want us to see more of moriarty and pity i love moriarty and pity i have to finish that story for there to be more of moriarty and pity but i do have it (laughs) outlined so there's that yeah moriarty and pity are wonderful they're they're such great characters as with All Good Things, they were co-created by my wife, Jr. Blackwell. So they are our babies, but uh, uh, I love them so much. And uh, they started as as role-playing characters, actually, that we did in an Apocalypse World game. And I was playing Moriarty, and she was playing Pity. And since then, we've played them in a couple other games, but the main way we play with them is writing little bits and stories to each other. Jr. has a great short story of Moriarty and Pity. For that one day she'll release out into the world. Hopefully I will finish mine at some point too and, and bring that. But there will be more Mariarty and Pity because those characters are just a delight. They're just so much fun to write and their world is so weird because <laughs> they're so weird. So you have to amp out the weirdness surrounding them so that, They seem normal. As a reader, like, well, I'm identifying (laughs) with these most normal people here, which are these (laughs) amoral weirdos. (laughs) Oh, they're the worst, but also the best. Um, I love them.
0: So one of the things that I find really interesting about Free Planet X is the way that you're incorporating yourself and JR into the story as characters. You're deliberately blurring the lines between fiction and reality. And so I'm curious, uh, do you find that events in your real life are shaping the direction you take the characters? And conversely, are there things that you've learned about yourself by looking at yourself through this fictional lens?
1: (laughs) Hmm. That's a very good question. Cause I think, I think it's more that there's been stuff that's happened in my real life that has separated myself from the fictional one. I mean, when we brought in Gorga, <laughs> Gorga came out of my own anxieties about fatherhood. Cause we were trying to have a baby. And so to have this character who is both a child and also kind of a pet kind of address that in a in a hilarious and, and fun um that was there. And then when JR got pregnant and we are literally having a child, that kind of anxiety played itself out and now is no longer an issue for me personally, but I think still feels the area with the fictional Jared Axrod. I think he still feels that and there is certainly crossover because the fictional Jared Axelrod lost a son and I also we also lost a child but ours was not through a ritualistic sacrifice right. and so there's a little difference but it was still very difficult to write stuff around that but it was something i needed to do and then there's other stuff like currently in my life i'm exploring and experimenting with my personal gender identity And that's something that's not going to show up in the fictional Jared Axelrod's life. That is an element that is not necessary for the stories I'm going to tell in that way. I don't think, who knows? Who knows what will happen in the future? But right now the plan is that won't be a a crossover element because that's not the plan. And also, again, that just, it further separates the idea of who the fictional journalist Jared Axelrod is and who I am. So part of me likes that element of a, of a further separating of those two worlds.
0: That makes sense. The, uh, the stories in the podcast very broadly in terms of their tone. Some of them are very funny and farcical and some are touching and poignant and some just kind of rip your heart out. <laughs> and then you've got political satire in Good Guy with a Magic Sword and in Starchild, I would say you even ventured into horror. Yeah, so I'm wondering.
1: Starchild is my feminist Lovecraftian uh,
0: horror
1: <laughs> riff. If you are ever looking for such a thing, I have it. Nice.
0: What would you say with all of this diversity in theme and tone? What are the unifying ideas and themes that tie the work together? What are the questions that you wrestle with that drive your creativity and keep you keep coming up in your stories?
1: Well, I have essentially a thesis statement in the uh, in the rap battle episode. Uh, <laughs> and now I'm going to laugh at myself for even doing a rap battle episode. But it had to be done. It had to be done. And I had to do it. Which is basically, we're all different. And that's a wonderful thing. Because the more we look at each other's differences and celebrate those differences, the more alike we will seem. And so the idea is to take these people who are, far removed from everyday life, and to examine not how they are just like us, but how their unique perspective makes them different. But in that unique perspective, again, we find something familiar and something that's there. The The episode Dirty Spaceman with the alien who's crash landed on Earth mm-hmm. has a different point of view because he is an alien, obviously, and he is not supposed to be here. But at the same time, there's stuff there in what he talks about and his difficulty with money and his difficulty with relationships that are similar. So it's about celebrating the difference and in that, finding the commonalities. Because I don't want it to be like, oh, we're all the same, because that's not true. We're not all the same. We all come from different walks of life and have different experiences that shape us differently. But that doesn't mean that there's not recognizable elements in who we are. What can you tell us about- uh, And I say that in rhyme in the rap battle. Yeah, the rap <laughs> battle not gonna is, do it. Is, is it is Because uh, awesome. I already did it.
0: <laughs> what can you tell us about season three? Uh, what can we expect to see with the uh, the characters, with the story?
1: Uh, well, there's going to be crime bunnies episode, obviously. I'm going to do an episode I'm very excited about that will probably be the next live episode called True Kaiju, which is about a uh, Godzilla-esque monster coming in through Philadelphia and about the emergency workers who are tasked with having to stop him. So those, those two are, are going to happen. There's a couple of them. Let me, let me get out my list here of uh, titles and, and see which ones I can talk about because <laughs> everything changes, right? So like already the woman who I really wanted to be the lead in True Tri Jew, she's moving away to Costa Rica. So that's already going to change because I won't be writing it in her voice anymore. There's gonna be a three-parter that is gonna tie up the Deator storyline, so that's gonna be exciting. Um, yeah, yeah. There's gonna be a, a debate show, and it's gonna see the return of Russell Collins' Lucifer, who is the morning Star. Yes! We'll get to literally play the devil's advocate in that, so that'll be nice. Oh, one story that I'm, I'm very interested in, is uh, I'm looking forward to this, it's called A Hundred Years of Beauty, which I don't know if you've seen those videos that have been passed around where it's like A Hundred Years of Beauty, where they take, here's a look from 1910, and then 1920, and then 1930. and Oh, like the fashion stuff. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, here are the hair and that thing. And What's great is that it's not tied to nothing. The makeup and the hairstyles that women wear, and men too are all very much tied to the political and historical situations of the time. So this 100 years of beauty is someone who looks the next 100 years and what's coming and is showing off the looks of the future because he he knows what's gonna happen. It's like, yeah, this woman is gonna be just an amazing force for change in the world. She's six right now, but she'll be <laughs> quite beautiful and changing everything. So, So examining, Examining how things work and how things change through that lens is going to be a lot of fun and to have that science fiction spin. So that'll probably happen. There's going to be an episode that I wanted to do for season two but just couldn't fit it in where there's a a series of war games that happened here in America right before the Gulf War and the plan was to figure out how to win the Gulf War, essentially. And they did it and Iraq won. Uh, So they said, well, that doesn't count. Let's do it again. So that U S wins this new strategy. And then they like limited what the Iraq side could do so that the U S could win. And it was so like the general who was in charge of the Iraq side, like quit in disgrace, not disgrace and disgust, And was just like, you CEO, you're in charge. Now I can't be a part of this because it was grandstanding. It was nobody was learning anything. So. Definitely want to do a story on that a larger sci-fi scale because it's fascinating. <laughs> there's a lot of a lot of voice replaying next stories start at me looking at history things that have happened and then like that's nutballs. That's <laughs> something that there's there's a lot of meat to that. Let's let's dig in. Let's roll around in that uh, refuse and see what what smells good and uh, tease that out. So I'm looking forward to doing that one. Cause I meant to do it this time, but that hundred years of beauty. Um, and we're doing of course the crime bunny's secret life of stuffed animals element, and that's going to be in there, which we'll see the return of Panda. I know some people have been asking about where, what happened to Panda. And now we'll know. Very cool.
0: Do you have any, any live performances that are planned this year? I'm sorry. Say that again. Uh, last year you had a couple of live performances, not just rap battle beyond the stars, but also the wake of the lacuna at the Philadelphia podcast festival. Are you planning anything similar this year?
1: I would like to be part of the Philadelphia Podcast Festival again, because, again, the new baby probably will not be attending a lot of conventions, or any. (laughs) And With that comes no live shows. True Kaiju will probably, hopefully, be a part of Philadelphia Podcast Festival. We'll see how things shake out. The plan originally was to have that be the last episode of the season, but that may in fact end up being like the only episode of 2017, if that happens at all. So we'll see. Like I said, I don't know. I don't know how the baby is going to change things. That's up to Wednesday. But season three will happen. It just is a question of when. Fair enough. But yeah, and I'd like to do True Kaiju as a live show. That's how I envisioned it. We'll see how that rolls out. We've got some time till August, which is when they... Philadelphia Podcast Festival usually is. Mm -hmm. Um, The people organizing it are great. So I don't see any problem with doing another live show there. And doing The Wake of the Lacuna was, ah, that was like my favorite experience of the year and possibly of my podcasting journey in general. That was just so wonderful and beautiful to have that cast to work with them individually and collectively on it, and then to have the show, and then to have an audience for that show who's engaged in there, and to bring it literally to life was just so wonderful. I'm so glad I got on video. (laughs) Because it was great. And if you are a Patreon supporter of The Voice of Free Planet X, you can watch that video because everybody involved, all of the actors were just so great. And we got to rehearse. That's the other thing is that I'll run through people's individual parts a couple times. Like we never use the first recording. Everyone gets so nervous when they record for the show because they want to do a good job and I don't blame them, but they, they run it through and it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely not going to use your first. I've never used the first recording of anybody because it's always at the very least the second, if not the third, fourth or fifth version, that is the one that works. Mm-hmm. But yeah, to be able to rehearse with everybody as a group and to do that multiple times and to have a space to do it and have blocking and just have them, each of them standing at that podium and doing their scene, ah, oh, it was just so great. It was just a, such a great experience. So of course I want to try to replicate that. I wanted, I'd love to do that again. I mean, if I had my druthers, all the episodes would be live episodes. They would all be done in front of audience. They would all be done with that level of rehearsal and they would all be done with that level of talent in the cast and they would all be there together, everybody. That's not going to happen for every single episode if I want to do more than one episode or two episodes a year. Right. Um, (laughs) But if I could, they would all be live shows because it changes things to have an audience. It changes things to have the level of preparation necessary to have an audience, to have the kind of performance that an audience needs and expects. I'm so lucky to have the people who are involved in both Wake of the Lacuna and Rap Battle Beyond the Stars who all brought their A-game and were all there in a really impressive way that I I was just blown away by. So that's, that's just amazing. And I think that part of that is just the nature of like, we're doing this for real in front of an audience we get one shot, let's make it the best. And they did, they did amazing.
0: Where can people find your stuff?
1: Uh, well, um, jaredaxelrod.com is still the hub for everything. The Voice of Free Planet X is still at planetx.libson.com. That's how you can tell I've been in this a long time I still have a Limson address. <laughs> uh, I don't trust SoundCloud. I know a lot of people use it. I don't trust it. I don't trust anything where it's free because then you have no recourse if they decide to take it down. At least with paying for something, you have like somewhat of a contract being like I paid you for this. You're supposed to keep it up. But if it's free, that makes me nervous. And I know people work some people work very hard on their stuff and then it's taken down from SoundCloud. And then what do you do? There's nothing you can do. It's their it's their site. They can do what they like. But yes com is where the voice of pre-planet x is if you go there you'll find all the episodes including cast photos of the amazing talented people that make up the show not just me though i'm the only one on the back end i'm always jealous of people who their shows have like an extra editor and a producer and all this stuff and somebody who's doing their special effects work and like it's, it's all just me <laughs> it's all just me at the start and it's all just me at the end, but I have some really wonderful people in the middle who who make it all worthwhile. I'm Planet X on Twitter uh, I'm sure you can find me there's a link to the Facebook if that's your thing and there's a voices of free Planet X fan page on Facebook too that's great that's mainly just people talking about the shows There's nothing too special around there though someone did post a picture of their pug that looks just like Gorga and that thrilled me to no end. So more of that if more more people have pictures of their dogs that look like Gorga. I'm <laughs> if that's what ends up being the only thing posted there, I would be a very happy person. I'd be extraordinary open the moon if that's all uh, that was posted because I just find that stuff to be great. And you mentioned that there is a Patreon. Yes, there is there is and that's at uh, patreon.com slash Axelrod and that gives you behind the scenes videos and all sorts of stuff. And if you like the show, that's the place to support it. I, in fact, have a uh, series of uh, thank yous for people who supported the season two and uh, it's little little bits and pieces from various episodes that they'll be getting in the mail soon, as soon as I finish addressing all the envelopes. That's the hard part. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Designing a Galactic Public Radio membership card? No problem. Addressing an envelope, oh, so hard. Um, <laughs> it's the worst, but I'll get those done soon and get those in the mail. And uh, just, it's just been really nice that people have, thought the show was worth supporting. And their support meant that I could pay the artists who did the amazing cover images for The Voice of Fubana. Some of those people I've greatly admired and respect, so it was amazing to work with them on that. So each episode has some art and some of it is just jaw droppingly and beautiful. And I'm so grateful that I was able to do that. And that's all thanks to the Patreon supporters. Um, We get some more, and then eventually I'll be able to pay the talented voice actors that put in their work. Little baby steps. We're working toward it. Uh, (laughs) I was blown away that we were able to do the art at all. So that was was just amazing to me. Well, Um, awesome. Thank
0: you so much for uh, being on The Raven and the Writing Desk, Jared. It was great to have you. Thank you
1: for having me. It was wonderful.
0: And that was our interview. I want to thank Jared again for coming on the show and giving us her time. It was a fascinating discussion. I hope you guys enjoyed it, too. Orson Scott Card said, You know how writers are. They create themselves as they create their work. Or perhaps they create their work in order to create themselves. So, let's see how my self-creation is coming along. Here's your weekly writing report. I wrote 3,723 words this week, over the course of 6.25 hours, for an average writing speed of 596 words per hour. As of Friday night, when I'm writing this script, I've gone 102 days without breaking my chain. Once again, this week was all about The Lost and the Least. I'm now into Chapter 50, which is quite a bit longer than I thought this book was going to go. One of the frustrating things about writing a book from an outline is that the outline gets fuzzier the deeper you get into it, because you don't know all the little choices you're going to make in the process of writing the book that are going to ripple downstream and affect the later chapters. By the time I get to the end, just when I want to accelerate, push through, and finish, I'm frustrated by the fact that my plans are sketchy and indistinct, and sometimes they don't really fit with what's happened up to that point. So now I'm working with almost no plan, and as a result, the writing is slowing down. This is also the point when subplots that appeared early on start coming home to roost. This week I came to the realization that one of the couples in the book is breaking up, because of the tensions that I put into place throughout the rest of this story. That was hard and unexpected, because I was thinking they would find a way to resolve their issues and stay together. Unfortunately for them, the natural progression of the story was for them to resolve that tension by ending the relationship. They might get back together again later on, or they might not. But for now, they're not in a place where they can stay together and keep growing. Sometimes that's just how it goes. Over on the Patreon campaign, Ben Clifford has just finished this month's illustration of Morgan and Misty versus Zeke. It's very cool, and you guys should definitely check it out. It's available to all of my patrons at the $1 a month level and higher. We also have three new patrons this week Zev, David, and Jordan. In addition, Stephen just boosted his pledge level to $15 a month, which puts him in the ebook advanced reader set. He'll get complimentary copies of each new ebook I release. Remember that becoming a patron is the very best thing you can do to support this show and help me keep making it. Even with just a dollar a month, you can get the bonus artwork and weekly behind-the-scenes commentary in a special podcast feed. All you need is a PayPal account or a credit card. So head on over to patreon.com authorchrislester, take a look at the reward levels, and make a pledge today. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, send your feedback in text or audio to metamorcityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900, then enter extension 255-082, followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is facebook.com slash authorchrislester, the fan group is fans of Metamore City on Facebook, and my Twitter handle is ethereus, E-T-H-E-R-I-U-S. If you like this show, take a minute and leave me a review on iTunes. It makes a big difference in helping people find the podcast. That's all for this week. Come back next time for more fiction, fresh off the writing desk. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2017 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press,